everyone essentially is looking for this fucking thing that we're good at, right? The skill, like where, where do all my attributes line up to this thing that is mine? I found it. I was okay as a track and field athlete in college. I was okay at strongman and I was okay at powerlifting and I've been okay at weightlifting. The Highland Games worked. I won two world titles and took second five other times and competed around the world and loved it. And I found the thing that I'm better than anyone else on earth at. And I'll never get to do it again. That's Matt Vincent. And this is episode 240 of Wellness Force Radio. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent. And welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this episode, we're talking about being strong in a modern world with my new friend, Matt Vincent. This guy is a full-fledged strength athlete, but he's also a philosopher. We went into depth in this conversation. I really love these in-person podcasts. I know you can feel the energy, the difference between Skype and in-person. Although I love Skype and there's the video connection, there's something special about sitting in proximity just a couple feet from someone else. That was the case with Matt Vincent, a strength athlete, two times Highland Games champion and founder of Hate Brand Goods. Now you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Hate, what is that all about? I asked him about this on the show, this term that many will find negative. It's actually the brand lifestyle that he based his entire ethos first company on a very simple philosophy, turn negativity into positive results. The reality is that everyone, myself included, has doubts. Everyone has worries about how much they can accomplish. But Matt believes that we're not allowed to hide from those thoughts if we want a rich and fulfilling life. By harnessing and reframing that negativity, we actually can have those thoughts drive us. I challenged Matt at a few points during the interview, and he also challenged me. You know, this hate brand goods, HVIII, I actually did not even hear about this brand goods before I showed up at Lake Tahoe to record for the Mind Pump event. Huge shout out to the Mind Pump media guys, Adam Sal, Justin, Doug, letting me record in this beautiful mansion overlooking the golf course at the Spartan World Championships. In this conversation, we're not only talking about how he grew this hate brand goods to be world-class, we're also talking about the renewal of reconnecting with others, the tribe, that's what CrossFit, that's what paleo, that's what vegetarianism, all these groups, it's because they're tapping into this need, this requirement for us to lead a full life that includes being part of a tribe. We'll talk about what he learned from the process he went through after losing his father from pancreatic cancer, what the term hate actually means to him, why he finds this so motivating how he stays authentic on social media. We also talk about the balancing aspect and why pain and trauma are not a competition. Everyone you know is dealing with our own issues at our own full capacity. You can find more about Matt at wellnessforce.com forward slash 240. I was blown away with Matt's presence, his ability to articulate thought, and I think you're going to connect with him just like I did. And in this tribe mentality, this special understanding that we are all here to grow together, you can be a part of the Wellness Warrior VIP Club. All you have to do is go to wellnessforce.com forward slash VIP. We're giving away special invite only access to events coming up, unique product discounts, all kinds of special stuff. You can only get this if you're part of the Wellness Warrior VIP Club. Go to wellnessforce.com forward slash VIP. Now let's dig in live and in person with the one and only Matt Vincent. 
This is a strength athlete, a two-time Highland Games world champ, and he's the founder of Hate Brand Goods, but it's HVIII, but he travels a lot. He's lucky to spend time with exceptional people who chase strength and fulfillment and personal growth in every imaginable way. But uh, Matt, you also wrote a book called Training Lab. Yes. You, you spell out the philosophy of hate and uh, really this, this, I love this, man, the spirit of self-improvement through self-loathing. What yeah. Do, what do you mean by that? So uh, the easiest way I'm able to describe it is like, you know, growing up, my brother and I had always talked about like different athletes and things that we were always influenced by. And uh, one of those was like watching like a Jerry Rice character, you know, someone like this who best in the world, as good as it can be. And you still hear stories that this guy's up at 4 a.m. and like going to run hill sprints and catching bricks and running routes and, and perfecting, right? And I always looked at that and I was like, guy fucking hates himself more than I do. And that's really where it stemmed from. Like, be willing to do the work. Like, be willing to suffer. Like, because you can't outsource it. Yeah. You know, if you want to get stronger or you want to get better, like, it isn't going to be fun. I feel like in our society right now, we're seeing, like we're here at the Spartan race, you know, the mm -hmm. world championships. There's so many people that want to do a mud race, a marathon, a Spartan race. We're seeing like this return to the pain body so we can express it through our physical self. Uh, this fascination that you have though, you're a strong man. Is there something about your heritage that even got you into strongman? Not really. I guess genetically it worked out a little bit better. I'm, I'm, uh, between my brother and I, we're both bigger guys and I'm the small of the two of us and, uh, so after football and track and field for me through college, uh, I got into some strongman and powerlifting and did some things like that. Play, played to my strengths a but little bit. But what even got you into that when you were then? Well, I, I've always, you know, when I was 13, I got into lifting to be better at football. So yeah. all of my lifting from jump has been performance-based, which is very weird now that I'm banged up and a little injured and trying to figure out some health and aesthetics because I have no idea how to train for it. I'm like, you just go to the gym. To feel better? This is not what I've associated with the gym for the last 23 years. Oh, different mindset. Yeah. Injuries like, will do that. I'm 38 and I've had injuries recently. I, I tore my medial gastroc uh, sprinting. And um, how do you, when you're there and you were in high school and you were training, did you ever even think that you'd be doing what you do now? No, I didn't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now five years ago. Like, it's such a weird thing, what I'm doing, you know, that like, I always laugh about it and, and try to have the perspective of, you know, to try to keep things in check of like, I, I live in a world where I get to talk about training and my love for the barbell and getting stronger. And essentially, you know, whether I look at that as a Spartan race stuff or this return to the pain, right. That we live in a time that's very, very unique that it's is so soft and comfortable that we get to pick our stress and stimulus. And that's not a thing that we've ever had in human evolution prior to this. And so, like, I get to go to a gym because my life is very comfortable because I have enough free time and energy to build muscles I don't need to survive. <laughs> like, I'm going to yeah. do fake work in a place because <laughs> I don't have a field to tend to and I don't have a farm and I don't have an army to defend my house from or I don't have to hunt my food every day. Like we live in a great time and that's the Spartan race deal. Like, like yeah. yeah, man, your job's a nine to five and you go to a desk and this is an easier way for you to make money than say delivering rocks to your neighbor's house for their fences. So at least you're doing this instead of just sitting there and, and letting this machine fall apart. 
Yeah, this machine is built for honestly more of the expression of emotions and everything through the physical body. That's what that's what we're made for this right. physical self. Yet, I think the fascinating part that I'm seeing, and if you look at the depression rates, and even if you study the work of Jordan Peterson, holy shit, are we in an interesting time where there is this resurgence? Not just people in the strength community and the fitness community, but everyday moms and dads, uh, people that are like maybe 18, they're graduating high school, and they're just looking for a tribe. This tribe right. aspect, I think, is what really drives the reconnection to the physical self. And and that part's tricky, dude. The tribe the tribe aspect's tricky, and I think that's that's really what CrossFit hit on the head, with not realizing that that's what they hit on the head. Is that how, they how allowed so? to build these tribes in this community where people go and suffer together, and shared goal in this time of sweat, and everyone knows that everyone put in the work, and there is this shared bit of work that a lot of people don't have. You know, you don't have it with the guys in your cubicle. You don't have it. I, I don't know all the fucking neighbors on my street. I know two, and we're super close with them, but I don't know the rest of those people. My parents knew everyone in my neighborhood that I grew up in. And so it wasn't a big deal that all the kids were outside playing all day in the field. And I don't believe that things are more dangerous now. I just think there's this unknown, and we've been taught that things are so scary that we can't protect everyone from everyone. There's a bigger lens on us because social, it's like a huge, you know, magnifying glass. Like we yeah. know everything. Yeah. We know Kim Kardashian's cat's sweater color, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, like we're swimming in information. And so do you right. think that is actually why Matt, that you've seen actually, maybe let's talk about the strength industry specifically. Why do you think the strength industry is booming? It continues to boom. You know, it's one of those things for me that, it's, it's an even playing field. Um, whether you've got access and you've got, you know, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter who your parents are and your genetics and what income level you have, whether you're the rock or you're me, or you're the guy who's just started lifting a week ago. Like if you want to make progress there, you've got to show up. You've got to put your hand on a barbell. Like that money doesn't buy you the ability to skip that. You can't just become strong. You can't outsource it. And if you want to get stronger and more fit and healthy, like it's time and it's time that you got to put in. And so there is something to a tribe there. Like when you meet other people who have become strong and, and, and spent their time with the barbell that like, yeah, man, we got a thing. I'll never forget. I was at the 20 X. I don't know if you've heard of Mark Devine's 20 X, the 14 hour crucible. It's like an overnight seal fit training. You're doing logs <sighs> over your head and they're spraying you with water and you're sprinting in the dark. And um, again, amazing thing that this is something that we can sell now to people. Absolutely, I paid 500 bucks. Right, of course. So uh, the, the fascinating part about it though, is that like what my big takeaway, and I think this relates to what we're talking about is my suffering, what I was going through was actually deterring me and distracting me away from being there for my team. And that's mm. what they teach in seal fit is like, you know, you're going through your suffering and that's fine because you're all suffering together. So can you go outside yourself and can you connect to the suffering of your teammate? And that's what actually bonds you even stronger and allows everyone to finish. And I feel like that's a mirror for the strength industry. You know, it might not be 14 hours overnight, sure, but at the same time, like, you know, your voice in strength, do you feel like your voice is in that same vein? In other words, what do you think your voice is in strength when we look at pain and, and removing pain from the body? You know, I think it's, I think it's that bit of, it, it's a choice, right? I think, I think that removing pain from the body that, you know, a stronger body tends to hold itself together better. You become more resilient. You can handle more. You, you know, that kind of thing, like don't ask for a lighter load, ask for a stronger back. 
Who said that? I have no clue. It's like Marcus, I like it. Marcus though. Aurelius. <laughs> Seems like a good one. If we don't know, we'll just put me we'll, on it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant talk, whoever that guy was. Uh, and you know that that stuff matters, man. I, I think I think as a like as a species, like we adapt very well to stress. And like I said before, that we live in a time now that we get to pick it. And so, I mean, we're so comfortable, dude. Especially in our country, and and that's really what I mean when I'm saying we're comfortable in time and species, like. Folks in America, right? Like, our homeless are fat. Like, that's not a thing. Like, we don't have real starvation. Like, poverty in America is not the same as poverty in sub-Saharan Africa. This is a different, different thing here. Mm-hmm. And while it's great and there's shit that needs to be fixed and people have stuff to do, but we we do live in a unique time that... We do get to pick. And so, like, try to explain to my grandfather, you know, like a, like a World War II guy, that like, oh, I get up in the morning and I get into a cold tub and it sucks. What's his like, response? Well, he would just be like, what the fuck would you do that? <laughs> why? Is your day not hard enough? You know, like, try to explain to, my, to a World War II vet why we have coloring books for 30-year-olds to help them de-stress. What is it you guys are so stressed about? The Nazis? Are, we, are Nazis back? Are we fighting Nazis again? <laughs> Like, it's a different time. The interesting part about that, too, is like, you know, starting your day with something challenging, it can set up so that the rest of the day is easier. Is that why you go there? Because I think about guys that do the cold plunge or like, you know, run out into the middle of the ocean and just like shock their system. Is that actually like setting us up for a day where the whole day is easier? You know, I I just think for me, like it gets the engine kicked over a little bit different. Otherwise, I I can really drag out a morning routine. Are you, you know, a slow morning get a upper? No, I'm up at five. You know, you typically five a.m. without an alarm clock. That's when I like being up, and so it's you know that. And if I can, I'm happily to drag that out till ten a.m. with coffee and sitting around and browse the YouTubes and see what's interesting and what where the compass is going to land that day. Mm-hmm. But I know that if I get up and I go do ten or fifteen minutes worth of some sprint sections on the assault bike, and then have coffee. And then stretch and move and get in the sun and get in the cold tub. And I'm done with all of that by six o'clock. I'm fired up and ready, man. You've done more in the first hour of the day than I would say 95, 97% of Americans do. We'll do all day. I also live a great life where I get to work at home and I have a cold plunge and I have an assault bike in my garage. So, I mean, but that's your choice. Of course. None of this happened on accident. Mm-hmm. I didn't just show up at a place and this was handed to me. These were all things I've accumulated. But it's still a choice. Like, I don't... I'm playing with a set of cards that allows me to do that. Right? Like, it, I'm not playing with a set of cards. Like, I know guys that can't do what I do for a living. And what... The world needs ditch diggers too, man. Like, we need those people. Hell yes. You know what? That is such an interesting point because, and I'd love for you to talk about in just a minute, like what exactly it is you do. If you're in an elevator, like sure. what would you say to somebody, Oof. right? I usually but, just say unemployed, so I don't have a conversation. Uh, okay. Or you, <laughs> could just, you could just say blanket term entrepreneur or something. I guess that's but, even worse. But the the real challenge I think is for people to, I liked how you had the reference of stacking the deck. Like this is the way you've chosen to stack your deck. I think sometimes people get dealt cards they don't want to play. Of course. You know, uh, abuse, trauma, things like this that happen. Uh, and it could happen for us or to us, depending on your mindset. Um, have you had something specifically, any kind of event 
that really sparked you into creating hate HV triple I? Um, not the original mindset. The original mindset was something, you know, that we just kind of spoke about. My brother and I had spoke a little bit about, and then, you know, it became something I wrote about in the books as I wanted to write a training manual for the Highland games and did so. So started the apparel brand in October of 14 was our first like shirt we sold. And then I would say April of 14, uh, my father passed away. Um, pancreatic cancer, great relationship with my dad. Like there's none of that weirdness other than just super sucks. My fucking dad's dead, but I definitely watched in 11 months go from being dad to withering away and dying. And so that was a big eye opener of like universe doesn't care, man today fucking matters. And so what are you doing today? And so that, you know, the motto of the brand is spread hate always party. And so it's, you know, spread that mentality of like, if it's something you want, you can fucking earn it and be willing to suffer for it. But at the same time, like be prepared for whatever crosses your plate. Like don't, don't be so fucking fragile. What does that term hate? What what does that actually mean to you? To me, it's, it's that self-motivation of, of not feeling I'm entitled to, to this today. Like I get to rest or like, you know, I am working very hard, so this should be successful. You're not owed any of that for hard work. And, and the, and the truth is like, I think our generation was lied to a lot with the idea that success, like if you're willing to work hard, you can do anything you want. And that's just not fucking true. Hard work is the bare minimum. Right. But it's also just not fucking true. You know, we, we have a tendency to overlook it. And so why would you not think that the cards are stacked in your favor when you wouldn't think I was insane if I said, I'm now committed at 35 years old with a shitty knee and you know post-athletic body, definitely not in my athletic prime. I love basketball. I'm hiring a nutrition coach. I've got a friend who's a strength and conditioning coach for the Lakers. I'm going to go stay with him and be around basketball players and learn and get a shooting coach and do all these things and change my diet. I'm never playing in the NBA. There's not an amount of hard work that equals success if that's the goal. Yeah. And so I think we get caught up on what success is. And I think if we could change that focus to hard work done consistently equals progress, we can always make progress. I can be a little bit better than yesterday. And that, that's really what the hate is. So do you think that term practice makes perfect is actually bullshit? It's more practice makes progress? I fucking what is perfect? Yeah, you know I mean, what I mean? I don't actually know if perfect exists. It's just yeah, this like illusion. The pursuit of perfection always gets in the way of good enough. And sometimes good enough is okay. Sometimes, you know, I guess the easiest way of uh, how many people I've known that want to start a podcast or people that want to edit YouTube videos or do this thing and they put three or four months into their first fucking video editing and recutting and it's not perfect and it's not perfect. And all I want to say is it's like, you'll never be as good at this video no matter how long you take as you are at video 100. So get to video 100. But you got to give a shit the whole way there. 
man, I feel like people don't want to feel the flinch, the flinch of being perceived as not having their shit together, not being perfect. Dude, fucking no this one is does. What, but this is, Matt, no what I feel like. No one has their shit together. And this is cool because on your YouTube, you have like 30,000 people that watch your videos on your channel. You have like hundreds of videos, which by the way, some of them are really cool. You have Thanks. a tent on top of your I do, yeah, Toyota. Yeah. What is that tent? I, I want one of those. Uh, Tapui makes the one I use and it's a, so it's a rooftop tent. So it folds up. Um, it's elevated. And I think bear spray or my pistol help. <laughs> so I'd rather have them surrounded from an elevated position than been laying on the ground. I looked at some of your videos uh, eight years ago. There's just you doing strongman stuff. That's and it. you came from just shooting on like, remember those flip cams? That's what those I had. School flip cams? Is that what you had? Yeah. So shooting on a flip cam to now having- I found it the other day. Really beautiful. Oh, you did? Yeah. Did you find any old videos that were fun? Oh, yeah. So this transition between like, you know what? I'm just going to be imperfectly perfect- I'm just going to be myself and just put out content. What do you think it is about you and your life that has allowed you to stand in your power and just be like, yo guys, I'm not perfect, but I care deeply about what I do. I think it's just showing that there's an alternate route, you know, and, and one of the things that I've really tried to stick by and whatever that what ethics or whatever you'd like to call it is, is I don't want to make content I don't give a shit about. And so I don't want to make content to chase more views. I, I would much rather it be that like, the guy sitting in this chair and talking to you and we've never met is the same fucking guy that you've seen on any of the videos. There's not a character. I don't flip this switch and I don't like, Hey man, I don't talk about blah, 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 blah. Like, this is it. You, you got all of me and that's sustainable because I'm not a character. Mm. This is me sharing my life. And it's a very strange narcissistic thing to feel that your life and the things you have to say are important enough that you should share them and people need to watch them and or listen or read them. I feel, but, like, I feel like I'm in the middle of that right now. A lot of creators go through like, oh my God, I have to share the deepest, most intimate parts of my life in order for people to really trust me. And I think the answer is hell yes. Yeah. And, but that's, that's your tribe. And it's a weird spot if you're not getting back from it. And so you know, having decent followings on a couple platforms, uh, I'm real fortunate. And I think part of that, because I don't commit to any fuckery is I don't get trolled. Like, I don't, I don't have that. And so I would way rather have a smaller audience that all gives a shit than chase this bigger number for whatever the fuck fame is. I don't know what that is, but I know that I have more of it now than I did two years ago. And it's weird, but cool, but weird. You know, like I'm a fucking guy through rocks in the field and people chose to measure it. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't <laughs> fancy. <laughs> it must be a challenge too, coming from, you know, maybe did you, were you raised in a small town? Was yeah, it small? Yeah, like 25,000 people, Sulphur, Louisiana. Sulphur, Louisiana. And um, probably some old school values, very conservative. Very conservative. A little small-minded here and there. Yeah, I've sure. spent some time in Louisiana. The, yeah. whole, the whole state's awesome. Still but very, very churchy, very, very regular on that aspect. Okay. So the transition mentally that you had to go through to found a successful clothing company, dude. Um, man, I was always weird, right? Like I never, I never fit a lot of standard things. Like my group of friends in high school varied from you know, I was, I was all state in two sports. And so I had that group of guys. I was the, the jock with, you know, relatively popular with those friends, but I also hung out with the stoner kids that played music. And I also liked really weird goth kids that played role-playing card games. 
Did you do Dungeons and Dragons? Didn't do D and D. I got into Magic the Gathering at a point. Um, never stuck with it, but it was fascinating, and I liked it. And I like different people. You know, I remember. You know, I had a fight I got into in high school because one of the other guys I played football with started shit with one of the stoner kids. You had you had to pick up and like save the nerd crowd. Yeah, yeah, and so it was like, hey man, if you're looking for a fight. Well, you can fight someone that can defend themselves. I'm right here. Let's have it. Mm. Yeah. That that's what filters into your brand. I, I'll be honest, man. I didn't know about your brand. Sure. And so the Mind Pump guys introduced me to your brand, and I was like, wow. The more that I looked over it this morning, I thought to myself, this is somebody that just wants to be fearlessly authentic. Thanks. You know man. this 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 verb that's thrown around. I think it's like authenticity is the most overused phrase right now. <laughs> Genuine and authentic. It's so meanwhile, genuine. meanwhile, what you know about me is a com- completely curated view that I've chose to share. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll tell you though. Within these past fifteen minutes, we've been talking. It seems like there's a mirror of your brand to you in person. Yes, and I think um, the reason is is because you came from this situation where it wasn't as if you were born with a silver spoon. No, you know, you you've been through different hurdles. With that said, things have been very fucking cool. The, don't no doubt about it. The greatest door that was ever opened for me was being a white guy born in 1983 to two decent parents. Why is that? Because fuck, because that's America, and things are great that way. You know, I'm not gonna piss and moan about that that step that I was given. But there isn't another time in history or another place in the world that would have given me a better chance at success than that. Yeah. Were finances an issue when you were a kid? Did you guys no. have any financial trouble? Or? No, I mean my my parents worked. We weren't we weren't rich. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a boilermaker. We lived in the. My mom still lives in the same house. My parents your dad was in. a boilermaker. Yeah, so he actually would construct the steel. Yeah, yeah. So it was a welder, and so you know did that his whole life, uh, and you know, went on vacations and did stuff. But you know it was, it was normal. It was it was a regular relatively normal life we lived yeah. in the same house the entire time i grew up my mom still lives in it you know i i had a car as soon as i turned 15 what was Wasn't your first car a, uh my dad traded my uncle a boat trailer for a nissan frontier like little two-door small nissan truck with 188,000 miles on it. that's a great first car mine it was, was, mine was a it. red toyota pickup yeah. that was my first yeah i, I ruined it um Trying to mud ride in it. Weird. Not a full drive truck or built for that. Success. I, th- I think a lot of people start out from humble beginnings and maybe for you, it doesn't seem too humble, but there's a lot of people that achieve success and they've had kind of the path laid out for them. Mm-hmm. I think people that follow your brand, at least my sense is people that follow your brand is they're coming from a bit of a threshold themselves. I agree. You know, they're, they're coming from um, maybe trauma or stress or whatever it is, like some part of their life, they're using the energy of your brand to associate with. What are they associating with, man, about your brand? I think it's the a bit of like, like fucking own it. Like, are these are your shortcomings. Is this where you want to go? This is what you want to do. No one owes it to you. No one owes you success. The universe doesn't give a shit. And so if this is a thing that you want, you do it and you do it for you. And my biggest recommendation is, is quit focusing on this bit of, if I just get here, all this is okay. You know, and I know a lot of guys who've done that, and I'll dive into that, but, you know, that you make these weird sacrifices, and you make these fucking deals with yourself and the people around you that, like, if you just let me get here, you'll see that all this bullshit was okay. And there's no there. There isn't 
a point where you're there. It's all journey and it's all process. And so learn to live in that because that's where we are. Mm. And if you kid yourself that we're anything other than journey and process, like you're fucking full of it. What do you mean the universe doesn't give a shit? Because I feel like the universe has my back. Mm. I find the universe to be completely indifferent, which I like. I think you can, again, stack the cards in your favor, right? I think good and bad momentum add up. And so trying to make smarter decisions instead of shitty decisions over and over again allow you to have some momentum to carry when shit times come because they do, you know, but the universe is indifferent in the way that I feel, you know, my dad gets to suffer and die of cancer and Richard Ramirez dies of old age in prison. He doesn't fucking care. Didn't know either of those two people happiness. Doesn't owe them a place in the afterlife. It doesn't, your, your karma didn't add up to this path. So it's yours. This is your life. This is your day. What decisions do you make? And for me, like that big turning point with, with my old man was, so he passed away at 62 and I was 31 at the time. And all I could think was like, man, are you fucking halfway? And if you are, what are you doing? And if I took 31 and multiplied that by 52 and put, 1600 or so marbles in a jar and at the end of every week I picked one up to throw it in the fucking garbage can and asked did we spin that one it's worth it death can be the ultimate reminder that we get to be grateful for the now because it's coming you're right dude we're all going there yeah I don't have any guarantee that I make it back to the place I'm staying in (laughs) Truckee today (laughs) and this might sound morbid there's a high success percentage yeah and I can up my chance of success by that, by like not hanging out here and getting shit faced all day and driving back. Right. You know, I can also up my chance of success by not staring at my telephone the entire time I'm driving back. Yeah. So stack the cards in your fucking favor of success. This is what I like about you, man. This is what I was stoked to talk with you about because I feel like, you know, you have one foot in athletics and kind of being a meathead. Would you consider yourself a meathead? The other half of you that I see though is philosophy. Yeah, that's a really weird thing to say about a self. Meathead philosopher. But there's no doubt about it that like, I mean, the the book I'm currently working on, like I journaled through the last like two knee surgeries that I didn't know I was going to have and the recovery for it. And you can see when there's a switch that flips of like, oh, I'm never going to compete again. And then swallowing that, right? And so there is some philosophy that you've got to make some grounds up with and how how you you decide to to go through it who have you pulled on for strength and philosophy do you have any philosophers that you follow like for me alan watts led me for six years you know carl Jung. but do you have anyone that you really go to as far as like studying that emotional slash um uh, side of your brain you know the philosophy not really um i i really like just digging into a problem and then running the numbers on as many different scenarios is how I see this play out in different ways. And then trying to find this makes more sense. You know, um, I've got some really great friends that I lean on who I think are pretty smart. And so that, that really helps. Um, so I lean, I lean more on that. I've always been more for that than I am reading philosophy. Uh, my my media consumption is either podcast or movies. 
And so I don't read a ton. I should yeah. probably do more audiobooks. Just there's some part of me that feels like I should, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to do it. Well, you create a lot. And this is what I found with creators is that you're creating so much that you don't consume very much. So if you really had to dial it down to what you consume, like what do you consume that actually fuels that philosopher side of you? I think it's podcast. I think it's probably podcast for me. And it's, there's, there's been a lot of alone time. And I think that's part of it is you really can't do a lot of work uh, with the self unless you're okay with being alone. And I had a job where I drove a lot doing outside sales for a bunch of years. And so I spent 75,000 miles a year in my truck by myself. What were you selling? uh, I worked in the petrochemical field, so oil and gas in the South. And so I sold a refractory service. So um, I've sold that, nuts and bolts, a handful of other shit. But I I was a a account executive for a endurance sports technology company before I founded Wellness Force. And then before that, 10 years in, in fitness. And I think about whatever you learned in sales, obviously made you found hate. It's mm. the same thing. It's right. the same skill set, right? But now you're doing it from a place of, hey, this is what I actually like to do. But I learned all these skills, maybe having conversations with old men with white hair and suits in Texas. And talking about shit I don't want to talk about. Yeah. Can you yeah, tell right. us about that? Yeah, that job's different, man. I remember I'm not a, I'm not a tongue biter. <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, you know, someone who's going to sit and let bullshit be talked about and then not chime in and be like, oh, you guys are fucking really wrong. Um, but at the same time, like, know your audience. You know, and if maybe this isn't the one where you need to have a fight because you're not changing their mind. Like, this is so far the other direction. Like, just survive this and get the fuck out of here. And so, like, you know, one of those was I remember being at a dinner table with three people I work with and then three customers. And this was right around, like, the federal change to gay marriage. And this table switched to this, like, you know, don't get me wrong. And, and of course, it always starts like that, right? You're like, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I don't care what they want to do at your house, but you start coming around, try to turn my kids gay and do any of this. And I'm like, this is, what fucking year is it that we believe that, how, how are you all grown men who've never known a gay guy? Mm-hmm. How are you so fucking threatened and terrified by this? I mean, do you guys not see that this is the exact same fucking thing that we did in the 60s with black people? This is going to fall. And it goddamn well should. Did you say that? No. Yeah. Because these people are stupid. Mm-hmm. And you can't fix that. So you just sit. And I remember sitting there and I just... You know, I... I, I think the only time I've ever spoke up for something like that, like in that environment, because... I'm at work and I'm paid to represent this company that I'm not paid there to be me. Right. And so that's different. Now, if I'm at that at table now, Oh yeah, we'll have it. And so I usually try to backdoor that conversation yep. with like, let's start at a point where we can agree on and then we'll spiral out from there to figure out where shit's gone South. Well, there's certain levels of consciousness, man. Like, you know, you, the consciousness you had 10 years ago, or even having conversations with these guys in Texas, do you feel like you're even the same guy? Like no. how has your consciousness grown in the past five years? How long has this company been around? You're, uh, you're, five, five years. So yeah. interesting. So in five years, in order for <clears throat> you to found this and have somewhat of a balance, which I'd love to learn about how you balance like relationship, health and wealth. That's a show in itself. Uh, but before we get to that, man, like what, what about you and your consciousness, your awareness 
of your environment, yourself and your friends and your relationships. How has that grown since you founded the company? I, I think following the mentality behind it of like, it's what I loved about doing individual sports, whether that was Highland Games or track and field, right? Was that I liked the idea that my success or failure was mine. And so owning failure too is a big part of it. Like I didn't succeed at this because I didn't do very well. You know, also realized that like, oh, that's a thing I'm fucking bad at. And that's okay too. Like hard work doesn't just earn you the right to be good at a thing. And so it is that awareness of like, if shit's gone south, where did I fuck this up? Not the other people involved, because I can't control them. I don't have anything to do with how they think or react. And I can't lean on them because they're not employees. They're friends and family and people like that who have their own life experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that consciousness of trying to realize that like other people have lives that have shaped them to get to where they are too, that this may not be just this singular moment that if we deconstruct this, we we're deconstructing a lot, you know, um, you know, recently, one of the things I read uh, was talking about Bourdain's death. Um, and man, I mean, there hasn't been a, it's for a male in our generation, there isn't a guy who anyone I know has looked at more and been like, that's the fucking life. Mm -hmm. He looked like he had it all. He does. He does. That's not up for debate. He, he, you know, he did. He got to write the things he wants to write, traveled to do the things he wants to do. And the write-up I read on it was from uh, this other artist I really like, David Cho. And David talks about, you know, knowing, knowing Anthony pretty well and saying something along the lines of, you know, like last time we talked, I mean, you, you had told me you were in a rough place and that you were getting help and this and that, and you didn't, you know, and for a man who's traveled all the corners of the earth and still never dove into himself to fight his own demons, fuck you. And he says, I love you and I miss you, but fuck you. And he says, it's just a really shame that we live in a time that how does the most interesting man on earth get to complain and say he's depressed and he's not happy because we all compare it. How can I be upset with my life and the things that I get to do that are so extraordinary when someone else doesn't, doesn't get to. And so that makes people bottle a lot of shit up. And then the other half of what he said there was at some point we have to realize pain and trauma are not a competition. And that everyone's dealing at 100% all the time for them. And I really liked that. That I just have to realize that people are doing the best they fucking can with the tools they're given. Do you really think that people are doing the best they can? I remember Brene Brown was talking about this in her book. I think it's Braving the Wilderness. She said that. She was meeting with her therapist and she was like, I just feel like people aren't really doing the best they can. And her therapist was like, no, they actually are. And she had to go through this learning process. What I, do you think, man? Do you I think do. people are doing that? I think they are. I think that there's better that they can do. But I think I think a lot of people are surviving, right? That that aren't aware. You're not conscious. And so the idea that like, well, this is this was the plan, this nine to five, right? It's it's the same person who grows up in this small town who doesn't know things are better because I never left. And if I don't know things are better, I'm okay with this. And that is the best they can. Yeah. Based on their this environment. This is the best they can. That maybe sometimes there is ignorance, you know, you know, bliss or ignorance. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, are you hurting other people you're around? If the answer's no, fucking fine, man. Mm -hmm. But but you don't get to sit and complain that you're not happy 
and wake up and do the same fucking shit tomorrow. That, that doesn't work. You don't get to complain that you're fat. You don't get to complain that I'm depressed and I'm not, and then not do any fucking work to fix it. That's unacceptable. But if things are okay and you're happy, right on. You're doing the best you can. I think you bring up a rad point about like, look, it's not okay that you don't try. And this guy that knew Anthony Bourdain that said, I love you, but fuck you. Mm -hmm. There's some truth to that. And then there's also so many nuances to understand like how one even gets to that place where they know what you just said is true. You know, where somebody actually understands, oh, my responsibility is my responsibility because they're only used to the model that was from their parents or their uh, community or their teachers or whatever it is. Do you feel like people are coming to you because you talk about responsibility, because you talk about radical ownership? Is that also why people love the brand and, and kind of resonate with you? There's that part of them that wakes up, that responsibility hope, part. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I hope, I, I hope that, you know, the brand with a little bit harder message of, you know, do the work and train and all the, the lifting side of things, right? The mechanical side of it. I, yeah. I hope that some of the other part filters in right that i want to teach people why we're fishing not how to fish so i think that's important that the mechanic side can be taught but why we fish matters and so why we give a shit that matters because time is precious and the only thing we've got that's finite is that and that clock is fucking running mm-hmm. and speaking of the clock running i want to figure out in my own life i'm 38 Mm-hmm. I want to figure out how I have a business, a girlfriend, a wife, and my health, all three. Now, I'm asking you a selfish question. I know a lot of people listening are feeling the same way. How do you do this, Matt? How do you balance the health aspect, the business drive, and the relationship? How, how is that even possible? Well, it's not always balanced. So <laughs> That's it's constantly just, a pendulum. Yeah. I mean, it's that I haven't, I haven't been home but for 21 days since the 20th of May. Like, it's not balanced. Shit's fucked. I'm tired. <laughs> you know? But you get to a point where you're so used to spinning plates all the time that you're not comfortable not spinning plates. And so you get really comfortable in the chaos and in the travel and the not being. And there gets to a point where, because my wife and I aren't hanging out that much, that I'm more uncomfortable at home than I am gone. Because I'm in, like because I feel in the way. No, I fucking hate it. Okay, so that's the thing that needs to be sorted out, and and it's come to a head of like, we got to sort it out. I've got to kill the other noise that I've allowed to be the distraction because I know this is so solid. I don't have to maintain it, but you do, and so it seems everything falls into place for me as long as I can. As long as I've got a barbell in my hand a couple of days a week, my head works better. So I know that. So that one's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. The one that's been negotiable and it's this year and it's trying to run and do the business thing, right? But so much of it becomes this shotgun approach that it isn't focused. It's just yes and more. I can do more. I can fucking carry more of a load. I can do more. Well, I fucking can't. I'm tired. I need to go home. I need to recharge. I need to reset the compass. I need to set goals and refocus. Amen. And the goals can't just be go. You know, I need to reconnect with that person that I've lived with for 12 years. And that's got to be, that's got to be done too. That grass has got to get watered. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take care of itself. 
How does that look from a tactical perspective? Do you literally put it in your calendar, like hang out with the woman I love as an appointment in your calendar? Right now, yeah. Yeah. Damn near. Do you think that's how it has to be now for no. 2018, 2019 for people no, like yourself? No, I don't think it does. Why don't did it end it up does. that way? I, because you're, because I, I know me, right? So I'll just talk about that. Chasing stimulus. And so I want these conversations because man that clock that i talk about that ticking that finite number like i have x number of heartbeats left that is a that is a number i don't know what x is but as of today there's a shitload less than yesterday and so sitting on the couch and doing the nine to five average thing terrifies me of like it's just tick tick fuck are you doing Mm -hmm. go you know, you, you can, that I have the ability to leave and fuck off and go. And I did it. I was gone for 34 straight days in the middle of, you know, from, I I was gone for all of July and then followed that up with home for five days and then two weeks in Iceland and home for two days and then out here for a wedding and then home for two days. And while she's with me for a bunch of it, there's a difference in us going somewhere and her being with me, there's, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm going to think, do the things that I need to go do because all of it is still kind of work. And then going somewhere for us to be together. It's different. You know, the two weeks we did uh, rafting and camping on the Grand Canyon this summer with no cell service for two weeks. Mm, beautiful. It's good. Did you feel the pull of like, oh my God, what's going on with my business? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. And you just breathe back into the space. You try to breathe back into it because just stay in it. And 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 something like that scenario, I think it's really easy for me as much as I travel to feel the world's very small. And then being in the Grand Canyon like that for two weeks and realizing like, oh, I can't get out. World gets real fucking big again. Nature, it seems like for you, man, across your social channels, it seems like that is a huge recharge for you. Yes. It, is, it is for all men and women, but something about the way you position yourself, you really have a connection with nature. I like it. And this is relatively new. Uh, I have some friends who get got more into outdoors and started doing some hiking and camping, and I joined them, and I was like, oh, this is fucking great. The Japanese call it Shinren-yoku, forest bathing. Yeah, I think, I think that's brilliant. Doctors prescribe that shit. You know, and then other studies that talk about, like, what, what a 30-minute walk out in nature does for as far as dropping depression symptoms and anxiety and all these other type of things, right? Like we're supposed to, we're supposed to have these moments of, of quiet, but that's chasing stimulus, right? Like when I feel that the time's ticking, it's like, I'd rather be overwhelmed with stimulus. Mm. The problem with that is, is you don't ever get the downtime to digest the things that you learned to put them into play. Yeah. You're just consuming and moving. Nature is the integration. So you're accomplishing all these things in business. You're thinking about how do I achieve these optimal levels of health, wealth, relationships. But in nature, it's almost like when you train. When you train and you tear your actin myosin fibers in the sarcoma, mm-hmm. it's not like that's where you get stronger. You get stronger when you sleep. Right. That's when the recovery happens. Yeah, of course. So when it comes to your mindset around health, wealth, relationships, it's the same thing, man. When you go back to nature, that's where you integrate all those things. Have you ever had a moment where you're in nature and you're like, ah, business breakthrough. Oh, of course. Right. You know, I can't, I can't pinpoint one, but like this summer when I was on that road trip, it felt really good that I had time. So like after the Grand Canyon trip, I drove 
uh, up to the Pacific Northwest and camped for two weeks, give or take, and had a lot of alone time where I got to got to write and got to sketch things out and get back to me drawing and doing design work that I like to do. And that felt good to be like, oh yeah, I need to be at the helm. Yeah. You know, I, I need to be the driving force of this. And, and, and I've got to do the same focus for, for the relationship. You know, I always look at, things always have such a weird balance, right? And like for me throwing, whenever I was doing that, you've essentially got technique, speed, and strength. And there becomes this weird plateau that you'll hit where you have, you are reaching as good as you're going to be. Like you're, you're hitting full potential. It's not because I don't have time to train more or any of this. Like this is what this machine's capable of. Mm -hmm. If I spend any more time building technique, I get slower and weaker. And if I spend any time just building speed, technique suffers. So then I'm not transferring that stuff that I have as well. And if I spend time in the gym just getting stronger, the other two suffer. I'll get slower. So it's trying to optimize all three of these things that pull in a different direction. And so nature, being outdoors, and running a business don't typically go so well hand in hand. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah. Having a relationship, but also knowing that I have this need to go and do. Those also don't go hand in hand so great either. And so sometimes you overfill one cup and you got to, you got to refocus before the other one dries up and dies. I love the analogy of the cups. Does your lady help you fill your cups? Yeah. Does she yeah. help you fill the business cup as well? A little bit. Yeah. She's, she's recently started, but we've been very aware since jump that like, she didn't marry me to sign up and be my fucking assistant. She's got a life too. Yeah. That probably adds a different dynamic of stress. Well, I mean, uh, if she wants to work for us and, and do things, I'll find work. Awesome. But you don't have to do this. That That's a big one. Like, man, I don't have to do shit. That, that's the big change from the old life and old job now to what I feel now is like, I don't do anything out of obligation anymore. I don't have to do this. I don't have to be here. I don't have to sit and talk to you for the next however long. I can physically stand up, remove these headphones, and walk the fuck outside. There's nothing holding me here. Mm-hmm. So if you're here, be fucking here. And be part of it. And give a shit. Because halfway doing it doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. And in the relationship, I think the way that that shows up is that we have old evidence. A lot of this a deep subconscious mind, there's evidence of shit not working out. Yeah. Whether it is in business, but especially in relationships, to meet her, what kind of a man were you? Yeah, what, right. what work did you do on you? So when you, she came around that you were ready. Oof. There's been a lot of change and growth in, in way better ways. I'm not sure why she was interested in the guy that she met <laughs> when I was 22, but you know, we did and we've both yeah. grown a lot and it's tough too, when you're out and you're traveling and I am getting this stimulus from these new people and these new relationships, you know, kind of the, the ongoing joke I've got is I'm a really good first date. Like I get to travel and I go meet people and, have, have this really intimate connection of a, of a two-hour conversation with no interruptions with someone about us or me or you and then go grab a meal and continue talking about what the fuck ever else we feel like. Because I don't know anything about you. There's so much to uncover. I don't know what movies you like or what music you're into or feelings you've had or places you like to travel or what you think about this or that, right? Like, so there's so much ground to uncover, whereas yeah. 12 years in, 
We know each other. And so there's not a lot of discovery. But now that we've been apart so much, there is. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. To an which extent. Is, which is a real thing, but also to I an think extent. too much absence makes the heart decay. Too much absence allows both of you to get comfortable with absence. You know, to get comfortable with the idea that, well, I don't want to get too upset when he leaves because he's leaving. I know he's leaving. He always leaves. Yeah, there's a the end of a there's an end of a grizzly bear song called the song's called a sleeping ute, and there's a line from it that a couple of years ago she pointed out, and she was like, the, "The song always reminds me of you." And I listened to it, and I was like, well, "That's not flattering." And it's like I know no other way but straight on out the door is, is, <laughs> is part of it, and I'm just like, "Fuck, man." Do you feel like, um, from a spirit animal perspective, that a bear is your spirit animal? No, no. no. What's your spirit animal? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Well, then maybe it's in your tattoos. You have an incredible array of tattoos. <laughs> I have a bunch of tattoos, not a lot of animals. I have an alligator, but that's just Southern. That's just because, yeah, do, you, I, do you honestly identify from a perspective in social media? Like, are you proud of this Cajun heritage? Not really. Okay. Like, it's never, it's. <sighs> that's honest. Yeah, I've never, it's never been this defining characteristic of me. Yeah. I mean, I don't speak French. I, I mean, I did grow up doing Southern shit, but I don't consider it to be weird. Like, I did grow up, we did trap alligators. Like we did all that. Like I, we had a big lease that we trapped people trapped for, and we had 200 alligator tags a season and we trapped alligators. I've stepped on more fucking dead alligators in the bottom of a boat than most people will ever see. But I don't consider that to be this big chapter. Right. And it's kind of the same way that I felt about throwing in the Highland games. And like, while I did that and I loved it and I was very committed to it and how far I threw in winning world titles, were never going to be on my tombstone. This was the thing that opened a fucking door. This was the thing I did because I loved it. I don't need you to love it. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved getting to travel with my buddies. I, I, I loved getting to see the world and compete all over the place and do a thing that I always felt like the quality of athlete that I am as far as a global scale should not be getting to do. So some weird gaming the system has allowed me this entry to a thing. What do you love most about throwing? I actually, I threw a uh, shot put in discus in high school mm-hmm. to my own horn, a uh, beep, a very small beep compared to the Highland games. Uh, uh, the Highland games. Well, people that are people really that good know, at shot put and discus go to this thing called the Olympic. Exactly. It's Which, cool. I love the feeling of the, the shot put actually leaving my hand because it was like all that I could. And then it was gone in a split second. Mm. What do you feel like when you throw things and this Highland games for people that don't know, what exactly is that? So w- there's nine events. Yeah. So we throw all nine. Um, so the one that everyone knows is the caber. That's the telephone pole. So we throw that. Um, you throw it for accuracy. You want it to flip and fall away from you. At, What's the weight of that pole? They vary because it's different everywhere you travel. And yeah. so I, I compete like 22, 23 times a year. So they're different every week. But give or take 20, 22 foot, 130 to 150 pounds. They're not heavy, but they're awkward. You know, it's 22 feet long yeah. and you got to pick it up off the ground and balance <laughs> it and run with it. Seems pretty awkward to flip me. Flip it over, right? For someone listening, they're like a 150 pound pole. I know. I'm yeah. very skewed on what strong is. Okay. You know, it's it's that and it's travel and it's getting to do those things. And for me, throwing, like, man, when throwing's good, fuck, it's good. Yeah. Like when, when I can feel 
you know, a 400 pound clean and you know, a 200 kilo bench transfer into a 16 pound ball and you feel it all leave and go into it and it lines up and it's perfect. It's so good. And that feeling's just great on the days that it lines up and it's good. It is just pour the fucking coals to it and let's go because I've done the work. Just go faster. And on the days that it's bad, what is it about those bad days? Like golfers, right? Tiger Woods talked days about that this. Days it's bad. He talked about this where he can do all the work. And then he, I think he actually had a call with Tony Robbins once on the course because he was like, yo, the fires, everything's, the house is burning down. House is burning down. House is burning down. So when you're throwing and you're just, the coals are lit, you're good, you're good. But then you get to one event and I'm sure you've had a moment where like, oh shit, my mind is defeating itself. Yeah. Where do you go then? Yeah. I lost a national championship last event. I just fucking no height it away to over bar. Had it, had it in the bag, was up by a ton and just shit the bed. And it's one of the more big standout moments in anything I've ever done. <laughs> you know, I like how you can say shit the bed and smile. That's what it was. I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, I'm still in a field throwing a fucking weight over a bar. You're still having fun. Yeah. 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 I'm also not defined by this moment either. This was just a thing I did for a time. Is that what you tell yourself in that moment though? Man, what I tell myself in that moment, and that, that goes back to the, the always party side of things, right? It's like, like those butterflies and that feeling of like, we, we're going to perform now. This is when we do it. This is why I've been out in that field by my damn self throwing. This is why I'm in the garage suffering because the work's done. The hay's in the barn. So now we perform. This is your fucking job. So you take all that anxiety, put it to work, and let's throw. So that's really what it boils down to. Like, now's the time to party. So don't crumble. Because, like, anxiety and those butterflies that come from work or a thing that you need to perform, right? Like, all of that, that fear. Yep. Dude, it's, it's the same for the hero and it is for the coward. They both feel it. Neither one is indifferent to it. Neither one gets to, to dodge it. If you were competing and you were pushing yourself, whether that is at your local 5K or you're at the Olympics. And don't forget the Olympics are simply a track meet and a PR for someone. <laughs> right. It is another day in the job. Yes. Yes. This isn't a place that equals this thing that people want it to be. And so both of these people feel that thing the same way. And the difference is, is like, it's almost the same way I look at social media or my phone or any of this, right? Like that thing is fire. And the coward and the hero can both choose the coward can panic and get overwhelmed and get consumed and let this thing burn his house down and kill his family and ruin everything he's ever built. Or the hero can use the exact same fire, which is indifferent and cook all of his meals and harden steel and warm his family and provide an energy source. It depends on how you control the same thing, but the fire doesn't give a shit. And that anxiety, by the way, is just like You're supposed to have it. excitement with yeah. kind of like a different shirt on. Anxi anxiety it. is essentially at a lower level, just excitement and a give a shit mentality, yeah. as you talked about earlier. So it's really like talking about anxiety in a more open form. I've had anxiety for the majority of my life. Yeah. Majority of my life, I've had anxiety. Of course. But I've also like stepped into it. And the more I step into it, the more I realize that I'm just excited about something. Yeah. Like the more so you lean in before you and I talked, I didn't know you at all, right. but I was like, 
slightly anxious, right? Of course. Because I'm excited. Yeah, I don't get to <laughs> compete anymore. That's the whole anymore. fucking point. Yeah, I don't get to compete anymore. So like doing this or doing like seminars or workshops or any of the other yeah. stuff I do, I get that feeling. Yeah, me too. I get that. And I think that means we're onto something good. Something good, man. Because yeah. when that feeling leaves, like so toward the end of my throwing, like with my knee starting to go south and I couldn't. So when throwing's bad, the easiest way I can describe the way it feels is like you get fucking glimpses that it works in training. Like it lined up today. That means it's there. Like that means I can do it. It physically can be fucking done, but it's not so much the normal that you can count on it anymore. And so when throwing's bad, it's like throwing punches in a dream. They don't fucking line up. You can't do anything with it. (laughs) I like your analogy, man. (laughs) It's just the worst, most frustrating feeling in the world that like, because nothing we throw is heavy. It just leaves your hand. And there's no feeling and there's no push. And it's just, it's just gross. You just feel fucking grossed out by it. And you feel like you didn't even get to participate and try. And so, like when shit's bad like that, like it's bad. And so, avoiding that is is good. And like I knew that that was on the way. Like that I was having more bad days than good because of my knee. And so I tried to get my knee fixed and that didn't work. What, what do you mean it didn't work? So I, so I essentially competed, I tore an ACL in college, got it fixed. And then I retore it a few years later at a, at a skate park. And at the time couldn't fix it due to being broke and 22 and not having insurance. So I competed for 10 years without an ACL and trained and lifted. And it's fine. I knew what I can and can't do. I can't change direction like react to a thing. So like basketball's out. So your whole training training is sagittal? It's just all straight ahead? Well, I could do clean. As long as I know the direction that you want me to do, I can do amazing things. Yeah. But like I can't jump on a trampoline anymore, Uh, which luckily Highland Games doesn't require a whole shitload of. Yeah. But like I could spin and turn and be on one foot and be loaded and do strongman training with farmer's carries and stuff like that because I know the direction we're going. But like I can't react quickly to a basketball because I can't turn everything on fast enough to make up for the lack of seatbelt that's in the knee. And so eventually, you know, the shitty sweater of my knee starts to starts to tear and fall apart. And so the string gets pulled and had a meniscus go. So I went in for a meniscectomy. And then from that point, like I really can't extend the knee so good anymore to full extension. So the quad's not pushing, which isn't pushing the hip. And I can't throw as far because I can't lead with the hip. And so when you're not leading with the hip, you go to the shoulder. And when you throw at the shoulder, everything feels like shit. You're just not strong enough. Mm-hmm. And so the second half of 2016 did that. And I hated it. Mentally too, like injuries can fuck you up. I don't mind taking less than first. I don't yeah. give a shit about the trophy. I mind performing poorly and not having a solution that I just physically don't have it. And so that's a change up, you know? And so then realizing that like, Oh, we're never going to do this again. And that's a weird spot too, because I think everyone essentially is looking for this fucking thing that we're good at, right? The skill, like where, where do all my attributes line up to this thing that is mine? Mm -hmm. I found it. I was okay as a track and field athlete in college. I was okay at strongman and I was okay at powerlifting and I've been okay at weightlifting. Highland Games worked. 
you know, won two world titles and took second five other times and competed around the world and loved it. And I found the thing that I'm better than anyone else on earth at. And I'll never get to do it again. I don't get to dabble. I don't get to kind of throw. Shit's done. That is learning to be really good at guitar, and now you don't have hands. Like you still want to play guitar, because mm-hmm. your brain can still play guitar. Yeah, I can still throw. I know how it works. I just physically can't do it. It feels like being in someone else's body. So there, this is where I believe, man, that the philosophical side of you comes in, because there's an emotional resilience that you've had to develop in order mm-hmm. to say goodbye to something you love. So, so what is that for you? Because people listening can feel the same thing. Everybody's had something they love, man, and they've had to say goodbye to it. Yeah. And there's no like PDF for that. No, <laughs> you know? no, it's not good. For me, like, and it took a long time for me to get to it, which big surprise, but it's, I knew that one day I'd be done throwing. Father time wins. Like that's coming. Yeah. So when I, when I, when that decision was made of like, oh shit, I'm in chronic pain. We have other things to sort out here before we can ever think about throwing again. Let's sort that out. You know, we need healthy, functional life, not throwing rocks in a field. And so I knew that was coming and I sorted through that. And then over the last two years, what I didn't realize that I'm still frustrated and angry about was that I'm not an athlete anymore, that I'm not this thing that I've always counted on of like, oh, physical challenge? I'm in. I don't care what it is. That's part of the always party bit too. It's like, we're doing a thing? Cool. Game on. I learn things quickly. I can physically control this machine very, very well. And then that's gone. I can't run anymore. I can't jump. I can't do these things. And so trying to redefine and make a deal, not make deals, but like, what can we do? And stay focused on the cans and not the cans. Mm. I think that that part's really tough for people that like, okay, so I can't max snatch anymore. I can still snatch. So how do I make that hard? You know, I can also, I can still ride my bike. I like riding. I like being in the mountain, you know, mountain biking or on the road. I like cycling. But I'm not kidding myself at 250 fucking pounds that I'm ever going to be good at this. <laughs> exactly. This is not what this machine right. was built for. It's the saying goodbye to something that was the way it was that the ego wants to pull you back towards. It's really about the ego's lie. Of course. Like, oh, you know what? You're th- I'm 38 and my body can look exactly like it did and perform exactly like it did <laughs> when I was 21. Right. There's something coming out here in the near future and it's a next level of hate of HVIIII. What is that next level, man? What is the next level for your company? Because right now you're selling products to people that believe what you believe. Yep. But what does it mean for you in the future? Like, are you going to branch out? Yeah. You know, and I think the branch out is, is more of doing uh, the podcast, right? And I think more, a little bit more directionally. I want to I write more, which is where things really began for Hate Brand. And so, you know, I wrote some training manuals and stuff like that, and I didn't want to just keep writing programs for the sake of having a new program out there for people to try. Whereas, you know, I kind of get to a point of like, well, this is what I would fucking do. It's right there. Yeah. Like, why, why do you need something else? I'm okay with it. On Mondays, I squat. And on Tuesdays, we bench and <laughs> so forth. Forever. That's how we make progress and do consistency. Monday's International Chest Day for most people. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, most people don't bother with squatting. Yeah. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> it's really hard, but yeah. it's so good. Yeah, even having a shitty knee. Oh, well. You know, I was able to squat this week and relatively, it's stupid what causes pain in the knee and not pain in the knee. Like, so 
can fly home from a place and maybe walk around too much and like I'll be crippled for a day. Like I essentially can't can't walk. I know that it's trouble. Or when I landed here, I got off the flight and went to the gym with Jordan and I squatted 475 for a couple triples and a bunch of other volume and fine. Good to go. No Beauty. problems at all. <laughs> so perfect. This is this is an equal balance, right? So I think with the brand, right? I think a lot of it is just evolution of the message, you know, and trying to trying to get it get it to more people and be honest with it and not chasing sales or views or any of this other thing, but this is our wheelhouse. Let's focus and let's do this really well. Let's monopolize this corner. I don't I don't I don't want to fucking have my shit in academy. You know, or or do any of that. That's not the thing. If if that becomes a side effect of something being so much of what I believe in, then cool. But that's not the goal. I don't want that. I essentially just want to wake up and do whatever the fuck I want to every day. That's <laughs> this, what I want. This is the ultimate dream. Yeah. And to quote Tony Robbins, where I talked about it with Tiger Woods, Tony Robbins' life of a dream is to be able to say no to anything he chooses. Look, man. That's the ultimate dream. You know, for a, a less eloquent way of saying that, I remember there was a Joe Rogan was talking about it. And one of my favorite things he said was, is like, there's no point in having fuck you money if you never say fuck you. Say no. No, I don't want to do that. No. Yeah. And that's, that's remembering that I'm not obligated to do shit. You know, I'm not obligated to train. I get to train. I get to go in the garage mm. and sweat and do that because I'm healthy enough and I've got some free time. You know, and that, that time I'm not going to spend sitting on the couch being a bag of shit. How important is language for you? Because I, I think about the way that as a, a brand creator, mm -hmm. language and the way you position things from a place of being still you, it's not like you're trying to manipulate anyone. It's just being authentically you. Sure. How important is language, conscious communications in your branding? Because I loved how you said, I don't have to do this thing. I get to. Right. Subbing out have to get. It's wow, totally different, right? That is right? a powerful switch. Yeah, that's a big switch up. And that's, that's a big one mentally. I think I think that matters a lot, dude. I think the way that we communicate and being conscious of the words we choose matters. You know, for me, I say fuck way too often. It's it's basically a stutter word. You know, I'll just use fuck instead of saying um. But who gives a shit? It's a fucking word. It's a sound that came out of my mouth. It doesn't have this weird power over us that anyone thinks it does, right? And I think I think that's taking ownership of it. And I think that you can control that bit at the same time. I don't want to make a shirt that says fuck on it because yeah. I wouldn't wear it. Yeah. Despite that. I know that I could do something like that and it sells well. I won't wear it. You know, one of the things that we've had that sold really well is a coffee mug that says kick today in the dick. <laughs> and interesting way of saying rise to the challenge. Yeah. That, you know, bring the fucking, bring the fight. I mean, don't sit and wait for it to come to you. Be on the offensive strategy. Yeah. So bring the fight to today. Like today's an opportunity. They were not just surviving. We're going to thrive. One of the things I love to do with guests, especially somebody who has like philosophy and strength like you, is I like to read quotes of people that I love and then see how you take that quote. This is actually from Carl Jung. He says, knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness of other people. Oof. How do you take that quote in yourself and your brand? I, I think it's really important. I think knowing yourself is super, super important. You know, I immediately hear that and I think about, you know, the idea of uh, 
more Nietzsche type stuff of, you know, the abyss and you know, fighting monsters, right? That, you know, be careful fighting monsters, at least we'd be, you know, where that we'll turn into a monster ourselves or the looking to the abyss, the abyss looks back. And like, you got to dive into those fucking parts of yourself, dude. Pretending that they don't exist doesn't make them not exist. And if you've got darkness, that's okay. And the people like us, man, the people that are going to go and do and create and drive forward and have this other gear that other people don't, I got more fucking darkness than they do too. I got more light. You know, then you're a guy who wants to live completely in the bell curve and everything's going to be a pretty smooth transition. So my ups are going to be real good, but the downs are going to be real shitty. <laughs> it's a greater bandwidth. But you don't, you don't, you don't get one without the other. Mm-hmm. And so you survived the down. And I mean, that was something I, I'd said to a friend of mine. We had a, had a bit of a, a falling out and she was sick and she got some stuff sorted. And one of the things she had, after getting sorted through it, she just kind of reached out and was like, you know, thanks. You know, a lot of people bailed and, you know, you know, I attacked and stuff like that. And you never, you never bit on it. You never fought back. And I said, I'm not scared of the dark. I don't mind it. Like, I don't mind that, that part of you because what I see is someone who's wounded and you know, you can have a dog your entire life that you get along with and things are fucking great. When that dog's sick and tired and it's dying, it'll bite you. It's not the dog's fault. It's not your fault. So treat it that way. But sometimes people are going to have a dark, dark moment, man. It ain't got shit to do with you. So don't, don't fight into it. Sometimes take the punch. The interesting part about people that might not want to go into their darkness, speaking of this quote, it's the same thing that applies to not wanting to go to a physical pain point. In other words, the skill set of going into the darkness, whether it's physical or emotional, that is something that I think is lacking. And this is, goes back to the like, you know, first 10 minutes of our conversation, right. the resurgence of being in the darkness. The people that are here running this event, you know, some of these people are running like 20, 30, 40, 50 miles right. while they're here. Yo, it's ugly. That is darkness my friend of course it is same thing with the barbell i mean you can go to a place in the, with a barbell where you're, it's total darkness you're like i i don't know if i'm gonna be able to lift this weight but i'm going to do it anyways elliot holes calls it i'm gonna die, lift this weight or die trying right. right so this mindset though I, how do you see this unfolding as you grow the brand even stronger of a voice it, it's a balance and there's definitely a balance of trying to share that idea and mindset that that strong's better and that a stronger life's a better one but I don't need it to be tough guy, rah, rah bullshit. I don't want me to give a shit about your success more than you do. That can't work. You've got to give a fuck. You've got to be the one to instill it in you that this is the standard and this is the line that we hold and this is non-negotiable. And that's that bit of hating yourself enough to do the work, right? Like, like good enough isn't good enough today. That... I'm not content. You know, I don't, I'm not owed the day off because I'm tired or I'm sick or I recorded a bunch today or any of these other type of things. Go do your fucking job. That's what we do. We perform when it counts. And that is like anything else that that's a knife that can be sharpened, mm-hmm. that you learn to perform when it counts. That's one of the things I did as a thrower that I was known for was I'm a gamer. And so, I mean, both the world championships I won, I can count back to single throws. 
It was a stone throw in Canada that I got it together on my final attempt. And without that throw, I don't win. I don't win by a half point at the end of the day. And there was the final event the year I won in Scotland. There's a half point between me and the guy who was in front of me going into the last event. You know, heavyweight for distance, it's a good event for me. And going into that, like, I got it. I'm prepared. I throw this event well. If you're going to beat me, you fucking bleed for it. I'm willing to die. I have suffered for this. And you didn't outwork All me. those nights in the gym, yeah. all those early mornings. And, and that's, that's the bit, right? It is, I can't choose my parents and I can't choose my genetics and I can't choose what shitty cards life deals because it's going to. No mistakes or fucking sickness or any of these other type of things. But I can choose whether or not I let you outwork me. That's a choice. I can always work. I can always sit there and do that. And there's something that builds with knowing that you can. Like that level of self-confidence that comes from it of like, I fucking perform when it counts. I can be tired and hungover and sick, not enough food. You know, that's, I don't need the perfect song on the gym to hit a PR. <laughs> Get it done. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't be so fucking fragile. This reminds me of my all-time favorite quote. I don't need to read it because it's burned in my mind. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Do the thing and then you'll have the power. You do the thing first. But I think some people want to train to have more power so they can do a thing. It's actually by doing the thing, whether it's video or strength or anything else. Do you feel like for females, it's the exact same as males? We're all human beings. Yes. So it could be the same exact skill set. Yet when I look at how the women's physiology reacts to training and also their mind, women are different than men. Can we honor and, and really celebrate that fact? And how do you see that unfold in training and in life for men and women? Well, I think we both have such different skill set, right? Like I, I think we're a bit more caveman. Like I'm <laughs> right. Like I want to pick up rocks and do yeah. dumb shit, right? I want to hold a woman and carry her up the stairs. Yeah. Of I course. want to do that. Yeah. There's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with wanting to be a woman who gets carried up the stairs. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you anything like that. That just means you're fucking in love. And like, we don't have to avoid gender roles for different stuff. And while I love that too, and I love the empowerment of women, I just wish that the empowerment of women that we didn't get attracted to was fucking some chick showing her ass in a thong. Mm. Like this isn't empowering to me. Nope. You know, I get it. Like be attractive and do your thing. I just, and I'm, I'm happy to look. I'm also a fucking caveman. Yeah. But like, I respect strength because you didn't fake it. Like you put the fucking time in and like, like a chick with, you know, who's in great shape, like any of the CrossFit games, athletes or any of this, you know, this, this look, you know, of, you know, a perfect example would be like Dana Lynn Bailey. I'm not sure if you're familiar with sure. her, but she's, she's great. And I've recently become friends with her and Rob. She's and, very feminine. Like yes. she looks masculine, but she's very feminine. She's muscular. Right. And now whether or not we decide muscular looks masculine, is different. Good check. Yeah. I personally, all I see there is work mm. and I see that she is willing to suffer. She's got it. And if you're going to go head to toe with her, strap the fuck in because she can suffer. She's willing to do the work when no one gives a shit because it only matters to her because you don't get to fake that amount of muscle. You know, I, I, I look at that and I'm just like, geez, man, like I don't, I don't have it. Yeah. So maybe it's not even masculine, feminine, muscle or no muscle. It's more like mindset. 
sure. that actually, you know, these physical muscles we have, our body is our subconscious mind. Yeah. As Drew Canoli said a couple of weeks ago when I was interviewing him. And this subconscious mind that we have, like your subconscious mind obviously has some strength to it because your physical body has a strength appearance. There's sure. muscle tissue there. So if our body's our subconscious mind, then for women that maybe don't want to get big muscularly, <laughs> does the same thing apply? It's that... I spoke about it on the last podcast with Julie too. It's one of those things that I just fucking giggle about is that this There's a fear, fear of getting big. Yeah, that this fear, right? And my response to that is always it's a hair harsh, but it's like, oh, I just didn't realize that you were so fucking genetically gifted that you're gonna accidentally add so much muscle to your skeletal system before you realized you fucking did it. Make no mistake, these women that you look <laughs> at that are bulky, this wasn't a fucking mistake. Right. This was decades of choice and suffering and not eating shitty and committing to it. Mm. Like you don't accidentally get to do this. Like you didn't choose to be skinny fat for the last 28 years of your life and decide I'm going to go pick up a barbell and next week you're fucking bulky. Like you have delts get fucked. Earn it. Right. Like in fact, good fucking luck because they had a drive. They didn't need to be convinced of. That's why they're ahead. It's not the genetics. It's not any of the other one. It's this innate thing that they have in them that said, go when you were scared. Does your wife have the same mindset around no. training that you do? No, not at all. What's, what's one of the gems that you've learned? I'm sure in every relationship, everyone has had, they learn so much from their partner, but your wife specifically, what's her name? Ashley. Ashley. What's the most you've ever learned from Ashley from a training standpoint or even from a living standpoint? Like, what have you learned from her? it can't be all go. It's also goes back to that bit of like hundred percent for me is not a hundred percent for you. And so while I can maintain and do this other thing and I can train really hard and I know how to train and I know what to do and I know how to put those pieces together to accomplish a goal, me giving her the same map doesn't work. She's a different person. Her hundred percent's different her ability to deal with and suffer and get it and desire it are different. And that's okay. It doesn't make her weak. It doesn't make her different. And so seeing that, I can look at other people, right? Like, I mean, well, ben, ben Pax here this weekend, right? Like, I don't have what he's got. I've lifted for 23 years. We look very fucking different. Yes. And that doesn't mean we're not both at 100%. You know, but if what that that other quote that comparison con, comparisons a thief of enjoyment or happiness, and so own your shit and do it for you. Yeah, if you're doing it for someone else, that ain't sustainable either. You know, if she's trying to get in the gym and do it for me to impress me, you never are. It, it, it's it's such an ingrained part of me that I don't understand what you mean not training. People have heard so much. I'm, I'm like, my brain is overflowing with this understanding of like business wealth relationship. But what do people get wrong about you? Like, what do people not really know about you? When they see you online, they might get the wrong signal or a wrong message. Does anybody ever get anything wrong with you that comes up more often than not? I think people still think like the weight on the bar impresses me. It doesn't. I don't care. It's effort. It's really all I give a shit about. It's just effort. And like everyone can do effort that, you know, 
amazing how many people I've trained with over the years traveling and doing stuff like that. And, and like, they'll get really weird about it. And they think like, oh, I'm not strong enough to train with him. I'm like, fuck, the weights come off the bar, man. Like, what do you mean you're not strong? You can't move your arms? Like, you don't have to do what I do. Like, those two things are indifferent of each other. They don't, they don't matter. It's effort. Like, let's just both put in the effort together. And, like, I'm weak compared to the people I know. Mm-hmm. My numbers don't fucking matter. You know, my, my shit's a joke. And I, I think that gets caught up, that, like, there is a little bit more of the hardcore gym side or that that I'm so dogmatic in a lot of beliefs, like a lot of gym guys are, that it's like, Dude, what do you think about uh, you know, you know, guys aren't squatting deep enough? It's like I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, you know what? Because there's been this adage of uh, of kind of like pain is weakness leaving the body, and you know how you lose weight and, and how you do everything in life. Pain's just like, pain. Is it's, that you work <laughs> you work more and you eat less to lose weight? And we know that there's many nuances there, as, as many of the influencers here have talked about. It's like it's not always black and white, man. Mm-mm. So I, I I understand where you're coming from, but I want to play devil's advocate with you because, you know, yes, hard work is the baseline and then mindset and our ability to take radical ownership of our life. That's another baseline. Right. But there's also a third component, this recipe for success. There's also this other part where it's like the power to choose, mm-hmm. cultivating one's power to actually choose. And I think that is... It's a really big question and I don't know if there's an answer, but if somebody's listening right now and they're already super inspired, they're thinking, oh my God, I want to create my own dynasty. <laughs> you know, I want to have sure. my own clothing company. I want to do what I want to do. Where do they actually begin with that, cho- that choice of, you know what? I have the power to choose. Hard work's a minimum, mindset's a minimum, but how do I actually choose to own my power? So the, the easiest thing there, right, is like, what's step one? Let's, let's figure that out. If, if, if it is, we want to start a clothing company, what are we naming it? What's the idea behind it? What is, do we have any designs? Like, don't get so fucking caught up in this, like, oh, I need an LLC and I need a fucking copyright. These are fucking hurdles that are useless that you don't need to deal with yet. Step one, do you have a design? Because we can't sell a thing without a design. So let's start there. And then when we have a design, we figure out step two. Stop focusing on step 300 and all the steps in between when it's, well, let's just do the next thing as good as we can until we find a barrier that we can't cross and then figure that the fuck out on its own. You brought up a good point. Why do people go to that step 300? Is that just the ego wanting to be perfect? Well, it's the same thing as like, oh, fuck, I don't want to get in a strong man. I can't ever be world's strongest man. Mm. Well, there's only going to be one of those guys. <laughs> like, of course you're not. And you're not yeah. 6'10 and 440 pounds right now, so chances are it isn't you. So does that mean there's no value into it? If that's the whole reason you're doing it, fuck off. It's not for you. Then you're going to miss all the important parts. Yeah. And that's the same thing with starting a business. If you've decided that you want to do this so that you can make money and this is your path to riches, good luck. For me, it's, it's, it's doing shit I want to do. It's passion first. And if the side effect of that is paying my bills, awesome. But these are things I want to do. And people will support or don't. And if it becomes a point that they don't do enough that I can't afford my life, I'll fucking get another job. I feel like success is osmosis, though, because as you went on your journey, 
there was probably a bunch of people and things that helped you. Tons. Right? Like, yeah, you're, like, you're very passionate. You're bold. You're a bold dude. <laughs> like, when people talk to you, like, you have right. a presence, right? So, but that you didn't just, you weren't born with that. No. You've developed that over time. In the process of creating your clothing company, has there been one piece of osmosis that has helped you the most? I've been very, very, like, my network is really good. Network of people that I've been around yeah. as far as like. Would you uh, consider yourself to be a master networker? Probably as much as that, that fucking term makes me cringe. <laughs> but like from an organic place, not because yes. you have to. No, here, no. here's the thing. I, you know, like I, I've been very lucky in the last five years that my really good friends are Kelly Starrett and like I know the guys who own on, you know, on it and Mark Bell and these other guys who have done really big things. And I've always got to be a staple part of their universe. Right. And, you know, as far as, you know, other folks that have been big influences on me as far as businesses, like, uh, uh Chrissy May Cagney wrote a book, uh, with flexible dieting and she's very smart and very driven and runs an apparel company, donuts and deadlifts. And she's here in Reno and, uh, she's been a huge, a huge help and a big support and like having these people and, and meeting them and doing all that. Like, yeah, yeah, that's all part of it. You know, but I didn't meet them to boost my business, right? Like these were friends. Like I, I, was, I seeked out going to train with Mark Bell eight years ago while I was on a trip to California. Like he didn't have anything. He wasn't a guy to know. He was a guy I was interested in because he was strong. Yeah. And so it's not hard to meet the people that you want to meet. That, that part's pretty easy. The tricky part is being someone they want to fucking talk to a second time. Or they want you around. Or they want to invite you to their house. And for me, I could probably do a lot better social media-wise or any of the other things if I was willing to whore it out more. Yeah. You don't want to put a picture of your butt on Instagram? I have. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's tattooed, so it's funny. And, And... you know, and dude butts are funny. It's totally different. They're not sexy. Yeah. I think, well, I think both men and women love women's butts because they're just women's butts. Yeah. I'm it, totally it is what it. it is, my friend. Big fan of butts across the board. I love butts. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of those trips, like I'll do a thing with, you know, with people that you know that if you share it, it's good, but I don't want to share it. This was, this is for fucking me, you know? And there's a bit that changes, man. And as, as much as you can try to eliminate it to make it genuine, it's not, it's that bit of the, what observer theory, right? That like, as soon as you observe something, something, it fucking changes. What the bleep. Did you watch that documentary? Yes. Where the fractals went through the panel? It's real. We watch it. It changes just from the act of watching it. Right. Because it's such a small, finite thing that even the idea of turning a camera on, it changes the light source that hits it and it fucking moves. Right. And so that's, being fortunate enough to be in Iceland with Hapthor and the other guys that are training at his gym. And I've got a key to their gym for any time I'm there. I can just go fucking walk in and train when I want to. Right. Wow. There isn't an amount of sales. That's okay for me to swap that. I'm fucking in the circle, dude. Like I, I get to go to his house and grill with the other guys that are family and hot and cold tub in his backyard. I'm not, I'm not pulling the camera out. But let's talk more about this because people listening, a lot of them are health coaches, maybe somebody that wants their own business. I, what I heard you say and what I've done too is I go in the act of giving 
Mm-hmm. I don't go in the act of taking it. And I think I, we've, all, we've all gotten emails where somebody will reach out and they'll say, hey, I want you to share my thing or I want you to do something for me as the initial reach out. As the initial. Can you sponsor this, blah, blah, blah? I, I love, and you know, whether you argue with him or not, I like parts of Gary Vee. I don't like other parts, but I loved jab, 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 right hook. Sure. Because giving three times and asking one is so much more palatable. Yep. When you have people that are constantly taking away from your time. And what I heard you say, even if it was like an Aubrey from Onnit or anyone else in the health space, it's, can I give so much that the law of reciprocity kicks in to where organically the friendship is formed? Right. And that's, that's what I want. Like, man, the Highland Games for me, podcast, all of it is kind of a ruse to get to fucking travel and have amazing conversations and relationships and do the things I want to in my life and pursue the things I love. Now, if I can also make that line up to where that message is still valuable that I'm sharing, that it isn't, I'm not sharing horse shit. You know, I'm not lying to you. That, that makes it both work. Like, like I get to share the information that I've taken in and not scumbag it on my friends. Like I've never going to text Mark or Kelly or any of these other people and say, Hey, could you share this thing? Right. Fuck that. Well, you could ask if it's really important to you. If you feel like you've earned it, you would never even ask someone. Do your own fucking business, man. Mm. I don't need you. I don't need anything you're doing to make me successful. I just need a friend. That's it. Simply us getting to be around each other and communicate and be friends will eventually be enough. So you think even the, even the action of asking for a social share in itself is taking away from the friendship? I think if you have to ask for it to get done, it's disingenuous, right? I, now, both of these people have shared things I've done. Yeah. What about, if, what about if you're an early stage influencer? It's your first year of creation and you could really use well, that then boost. You, you're probably 18 months away from making a dollar. <laughs> okay. All right. That's how it fucking works. I could see your point and, and I could see how it would be nuanced as well, but I can definitely respect where you're coming from because if you ask too much and you're not giving, then- What are you providing them? I don't ever want to be on the 49% of take. Yeah. You know, just keep giving me. Yeah. And I think that applies to friendships outside of business too. Right. Like I've had friends where every time they call me, I'm like, I get that feeling in my stomach where I'm like, oh God. What do they fucking need? I'm going to talk to this person about their life again. I know what's going on. Every time they call me, it's because they want to unload on their life. Yeah. Um, Dude, this has been such a rad conversation. Thanks, man. We went a lot of places. Yeah. We went a lot of places. Yeah, none of it had to do with reps and sets, so that's perfect. Well, it kind of does in a way. We just didn't talk about hand to barbell. Yeah, thank God. Um, People (laughs) know you as an exercise, health, fitness, strong man professional. Sure. But I think today they got a taste of this philosopher that I saw when I looked at your site, when I looked at your brand. Thanks, Um, man. If people want to learn about the podcast, though, it's called Um So. Um So, yeah. So Why'd why'd you name it Um So? Because I I say that. (laughs) Is that your filler? Yeah, it's filler. I couldn't call it fucking... Uh, well, you could. So I went like with them. So I don't know, man. And like, I realize that I'm dumb, and I don't follow like every marketing simple 101 shit on earth. It's like, why wouldn't all the things kind of work together? Because <laughs> they don't. Like, I didn't name it anything to do with hate brand or any of that, which is probably smarter. But it's not a cash grab. Mm. You know, that's not why I'm doing it. Like, I I want to share some of the conversations that I get to have with incredible people. That's what I want to do. And so UMSO doesn't target me into a place. I mean, the picture that's on the UMSO look is me holding a glass of whiskey. I'm not lifting. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't 
Matt Vincent's strength hour. I don't want to focus. You know, I am a multifaceted guy with interest in just about everything. And if something that you're in love with, I'm probably going to be fascinated with why you're into it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I am in love with the same thing you are. And that is understanding why passionate people do what they do. But for me, it's a different lens because I came from being a very overweight kid without the emotional skill set, without the knowledge of diet and nutrition, being in a house where the mom wasn't necessarily all there mentally, did the best she could, dad left early, blah, blah, blah. We all have this paradigm that we see things through. And so part of why I'm so fascinated with people like you is because there's a part of my hero that sees the hero in you. Mm. And that's what we're all looking for. We all just want to be in touch with that hero inside of ourselves. And I think why, why podcast and why long form content is becoming so much more popular is because this isn't edited. We're not taking anything out. This is a natural unfolding of how the hero in you has grown and how you're continuing to grow it, man. So, so stoked on where we went and uh, where can people actually talk to you? If they message you, where can they go to message you? Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, it's a, uh, I hate Matt Vincent. Um, which is <laughs> I really, hate Matt Vincent. Yeah, so pretty easy to follow. <laughs> Uh, spelled with a HVI. I'm pretty sure if you just search Matt Vincent, I, I pop up. YouTube's Matt Vincent. And then the brand is uh, Hate Brand Goods on Instagram as well. Uh, I have Twitter. I'm playing with it more. It's just never been my favorite choice of media. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, if, if you send me a direct message on Instagram, I'm going to respond. You seem like the guy that would. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. If, I mean, if you've taken a time to give a shit enough to send me a message, like, thanks. Because you're one of the people who like what I'm doing enough that I get to do it. Like, I owe this to you. you know, this isn't a burden. You know, this is yeah. thanks. You're putting yourself out there. They invested yep. their time to look at the person you are putting yourself out there. Last question for you, man. Wellness. How would you define it? We talk about physical and emotional and training and mindset, but hmm. at the end of the day, like longevity, quality of life, and the way that you feel in your body as you operate in your world, what is wellness to you? How, how would Matt Vincent define wellness? Wellness to me are the days that I'm not making deals, that I'm not compromising with. If I do this, it means I can do this. You know, that when, when there is this natural homeostasis to it, that, that everything flows and that sense of flow state, right? That like I was able to get up and I was able to move a little bit, that it wasn't this fight with the universe to get the work done. And we have those days, Hell yeah! but it's carrying the momentum from the days that it's sorted out. And it's also having enough insight into your life to realize that like this too shall pass. And so like, wellness as a whole, meanwhile, you can still have it on individual things. And like wellness, isn't me going to the gym and hitting PRs every five weeks. Chances are I'll never have another PR. That's a reality of training. That's okay. It's effort. And so am I having this natural balance that the drive for me isn't putting out fires that I have set myself <laughs> all day and just being able to plant seeds and reap the rewards later on. That's where I want to be. You know, that, you know, the seeds of the time I've invested into my wife and relationship feel better. The time that I've spent and pushed into training my knee doesn't hurt. I had a good day. Not, we'll burn this thing down and deal with it tomorrow. Like it's, it's that bit of balance for me as wellness, is that 
it's not being constantly stuck in second guessing yourself. It's being able to continually drive forward with some type of direction and not panic. It's operating between if I'm picking fear or love, let's pick love. It's not operating with a scarcity mindset either. There's not X amount of success out there that we all have to share, nor is there X amount of love. Like it's there. We can all have all of it. But you can't hold it all close to the chest and act like, you know, that you having success took away from my opportunity and my happiness. These two things are totally fucking indifferent. That's wellness for me. Well, let's drop the mic right there. Matt Vincent, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Cheers, dude. It's a pleasure. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me today. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 200 world-class guests and counting, we've distilled the gems, the best of the best science-backed practices down into a 21-minute morning system guaranteed to increase the positive flow in your day. Get this free and powerful 21-minute life-changing system over at wellnessforce.com forward slash m 21 If you enjoyed this episode, tap your phone, share it with someone you care about because that is how we all get better together. Supporting the show is easy. Leave us a five-star review right now from your phone. It helps us reach other smart and conscious people like you. Either tap your phone and hit the link in purple that says review this podcast or go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. And this show doesn't stop here. We're continuing the discovering process in our private Facebook group. You can be a part of it. All you have to do is go to wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I'll welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and live your life well. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.